Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Batista and I were sitting here getting ready to get this one recorded, and we were just talking about uh, the anticipation of our guests that we have. We have John Levito here with us today. Very excited to dig deep into the legacy of his father and his legacy as well. So we're going to have some really good stuff to unpack throughout this episode. But before we get started, I want to thank everyone. We have had four episodes drop, 300 downloads, over 20 countries. Uh, We're like, we're kind of like David Hasselhoff. We're really popular overseas. Uh, If you get a chance on Facebook, go check us out at The Shadows Podcast. And then on Instagram as well, The underscore shadows underscore podcast. Uh, So I'm joined today by my co-host, Jonathan, no relation to the former baseball player for the Toronto Blue Jays, Batista. Batista, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Excited to meet John Levitel. Yeah, it's happy Monday morning. You had a you had a pretty interesting weekend, didn't you? I did. Uh, I got to go fly out to Chicago. Um, it was a last minute trip with uh, MVP, merging vets and players. Uh, I got to hang out with the Chicago Bears and then combat veterans. Got to work out with them and then have some deep conversations, which they called the huddle, uh, where we talk about how life is after the military and how they're coping with it. So, man, it was such a good experience. You know, I didn't even know I didn't, I didn't even know I was in Chicago. I was just there to hang out with good people. I met this tanker. I'll go into a short story. I know it's about John Levitel, but I met this tanker. So what he did, he knew how to, he drove tanks. He shot uh, tanks. He loaded uh, the weapons. And, uh, man, it was so good to talk to him. And then on the plane ride back, uh, Fury was one of the options I could watch. So I watched Fury, and it was just so different to watch Fury. Uh, after having a conversation with him, man, I think I cried like three times during the whole show, so or the whole movie. Wow, that, great story. Yeah, he 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 was sending me pictures the whole you know Friday night of all these people uh, that he was having chats with. Andrew Whitworth from the the Rams who got injured yesterday. You would actually you know send me one with him, but yeah, it makes my weekend look like I did absolutely. No, I watched Hallmark movies with my wife. Well, she was watching Hallmark movies and decorating the house and some good football this past week as well. So Arizona Cardinals rocking their their shirt today after that that big win last night. Now let's go ahead and introduce our guest, John Levito. Sir, thank you for joining us here on Shadows Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. I'm so, really excited for this. Yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna get you started. We're gonna loosen you up a little bit with some some rapid questions that we're gonna throw at you. I know you went to first one. I know you went to Syracuse University. Who's the best athlete, in your opinion, to come out of Syracuse? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, probably Derek Coleman. Derek. Okay. I was thinking Coleman or uh, Earl the Pearl. Oh, yeah. Pearl Washington. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And second question for you. And this is because I'm I'm in the spirit now from from watching – 75 Hallmark movies this past weekend. Uh, what is your favorite Christmas movie? National Lampoon's Vacation. That's a winner. That's a good one. All right, Batista, you're up. All right, so I'll shoot two at you as well. Thanksgiving is coming up. So what is on your plate when you're at the when you're loading your plate before dinner? Uh, so turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, homemade cranberry sauce, and the green stuff that my wife makes with pistachio and cool whip and 
other stuff in it. I was going to say, is it like the green stuff that uh, the Griswolds get delivered to their house in the box? No, it's not Jello. Okay. And then my yeah. second question is, what's your favorite military movie and why? Uh, Red Tails. Red That's Tails movie. And I think, uh, you know, it's my favorite because it really brings a story out that needed to be told. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that one. It's a really good movie. All right. So we'll go ahead and get started with you, sir. John Levito, DMP, RN, Chief Nursing Officer at Frisbee Memorial Hospital. That's in Rochester, New Hampshire. Correct. Okay. Uh, He's married, uh, has two kids as well. And before we get started with him, we're going to talk about his father and his legacy that he has in the Air Force. John L. Levito, born 1 November 1945. Hartford, Connecticut. Sir, what stories did your father tell you about his upbringing? You know, my dad didn't tell a lot of stories. And, uh, you know, I share this when I talk that um, he never really shared stories about the war. And the stories I heard about his upbringing was, um, you know, things that he got in trouble for, like flooding farmers fields and, you know, skipping school and getting caught and you know, those are the things that he used to share, he, but he didn't, he wasn't a big story guy. He did join the United States Air Force in 1966. And I found this interesting. He actually went into, he, he was wanting to go join the Navy. Yeah, and correct. He, what, what was the story? He went to the recruiter's office. So he walked in the recruiter's office and the Naval recruiter's office and uh, <clears throat> the recruiter had his feet up on the desk and he looks at my dad and goes, what the hell do you want? So my dad didn't say a word, turned around left and went and joined the air force wow so he joins 1966 his first job was with civil engineering and then he cross-trained to loadmaster did he ever share with you what made him want to make that career move Uh, he almost got electrocuted oh that'll do it (laughs) (laughs) that'll definitely do it someone didn't turn the power off and he had a close encounter with electricity okay so yeah definitely definitely time for a change when that happens he actually, uh, he said he wanted to do something safer. Yeah, the yeah, irony we'll there. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, so he, he wanted to go into a career where it was a little bit safer. Now I'm going to talk about the, uh, the events that happened on February 24th, 1969. And I'm reading an excerpt here from the Waco Tribune Herald, because there, there's tons and tons of articles and references that the document what happened. Uh, I, I was really stuck to this one. I thought this was one of the best ones. But on February 24th, 1969, Levito was flying on an AC-47 gunship nicknamed Spooky 71. The nine-man crew on board was flying night missions in the district of Saigon, and it came under attack. The pilot spotted muzzle flashes uh, near the base below and turned to engage the enemy. The aircraft, which is a modified version of a DC-3 airliner, was flying low and heavily armed. The aircraft's Mark 24 magnesium flares burned at more than 3,000 degrees, providing 2 million candle power illumination for the airman troops besieged by the North Vietnamese Army in the darkness below. The crew dropped 27-pound flares through the open cargo door over the enemies with thousands of rounds of uh, a minute from the plane's deadly accurate 7.62 millimeter miniguns. Five hours into the mission, the plane was rocked by an 82 millimeter mortar round from the enemy. 
The pilot struggled to guide the shrap metal ripped plane. The crew members in the rear were all wounded, including Airman First Class Levito. This was Levito's 181st sortie at the moment the plane was struck. He had been removing and preparing flares from a rack and passing the flares to the gunner who would pull the pins and toss the items out. The flare attached to parachutes detonated within 20 seconds. Just as Levito was programming a flare, the right side of his body was ripped open by a shell fragment from a mortar blast. The crewman who had been pulling the pins, tossing flares, lied wounded. A live flare that had been in his grasp was bouncing freely around the holding of the lurching aircraft, jostling cans that contained nearly 20,000 rounds of ammunition. As the pilot took the plane into a 30-degree spiral, Levito threw himself forward and caught the uniform of a gunner who was about to fall out of the cargo door. He dragged him back, then went after the flare, which could have detonated any second. With the right side of his body going numb, Levito went after the flare as the plane pitched and threw him about. He grasped at it twice before it slipped from his grip. He finally was able to throw his body on top of the massive canister. He crawled to the cargo door, hugged the flare, and instant after Levito dropped the flare, it exploded in the air, clear of the plane, which made a rocky but safe landing. Wow. Like every single time. Uh, I've either read that or heard that or seen a video on that. It still gives you goosebumps. I know you said your father didn't talk too much about that, but what did he share with you about that moment? Uh, He never, my dad never talked to me about that moment. Wow. So, you know, I learned the most about it actually talking to the pilot, uh, Major Carpenter. So uh, when we, so when my dad passed, uh, one of the um, stipulations in his will was that his original medal went to the Heritage Hall. So when we did that ceremony, uh, Major Carpenter came down and we, he and I did a Q&A down there for the Heritage Hall. And, and he actually got to share some things about the night that I didn't know. Uh, you know, he, he, to this day, is not sure how my dad, um, with the aircraft in a bank, was able to get the flare and get it out the door. Flip side, you know, my dad, I will go back to one thing. My dad's not sure how the pilot actually landed the plane. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I think it's just, um, it, it was two soldiers doing their job and that's what they think they were doing. And neither one of them think they did anything special. Right. It's interesting you say that because anytime I've watched, whether it's a documentary or a special on uh, Medal of Honor recipients, it's, it's never something they necessarily were wanting there or, or I've seen a lot of them. Like I, I know that's, but it ultimately came back to, it's about the people they save. It's interesting to hear as a result, he received the medal of honor for exceptional heroism during wartime, which uh, for you out folks out there that are not familiar with the military, it's the military's highest honor. He was the first air force member to receive the medal of honor. He is the uh, youngest ranked serviceman in the Air Force to receive the Medal of Honor. He also uh, received a Purple Heart. And on 14 May uh, 1970, uh, he was presented the Medal of Honor by uh, President Nixon. After that, you were born January 12, 1973. Now, your father did separate from the Air Force in 1970. Uh, Tell us about your childhood. 
So, uh, you know, it's interesting. So growing up, you know, I had a bunch of uncles that were all war heroes. Uh, didn't really realize it, um, except I had a book. I had a book of all their citations, so I'd read all their citations. His dad taught me you never ask them what they did. Um, so you never ask that. Uh, so, you know, I'd read all the citations, but, you know, I was surrounded by, you know, all these heroes, you know, Pappy Boynton and Doolittle and Bud Day and, you know, um, Red Irwin, just all these, you know, amazing, amazing men. And, and not even just, not necessarily only Air Force, you know, Harvey Barnum, Barney Barnum is, um, you know, close family friend. I consider him my, kind of my surrogate dad now. And, you know, he was really close with the family. So, you know, I, I grew up around this. And so let me say, when I was young, it was like, oh, yeah, cool. I get to go to all these events. And, you know, in high school, I had my own tux. It was, you know, it was, it was interesting. But there's always a downside. And, um, you know, the downside was it was a lot of stress on the family. And so, you know, you, you get you get in a situation when you get in a situation like that. You know, there were day, there were weeks, um, sorry, years that my dad traveled 30 plus weeks a year. And, uh, you know, that was a lot of stress on him. And, you know, alcohol became an issue because he used it to cope with with the stress. So, you know, that was a part of growing up. Um, it didn't change how I love my dad. It didn't change anything I think about my dad, but it was just part of it. And, you know, it's a reality. It's 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 tough having the medal. You mentioned you were surrounded by a lot of military members growing up. I imagine a lot of military members come up to you to this day and ask you questions about your dad and also share stories with you about their military career. So my question is, what is the most impactful moment you've had with a military member? Oh, that's hard. Um, I have to tell you his funeral. Um, his funeral was probably the thing that impacts me the most because I knew he was special. I didn't realize, I didn't realize until I'm standing at the gravesite and had a few words to say, and I'm looking out and it's just blue everywhere. Um, and, and I just, you know, it, it, that, and then we had a reception. There was supposed to be a small reception that turned into a big reception and it was going to be an hour. It turned into multiple hours. It was just like, you know, but, you know, I wanted to thank everyone who came and you know, talk to these um, airmen, A1Cs that drove up from North Carolina, you know, F-15 guys who drove up from North Carolina to come to the funeral. It was just, it was really impactful for me. That's really cool. And that was at uh, Arlington National Cemetery? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Arlington. I'm just going to read off some of these real quick before we get into the Levito War, but Medal of Honor, Purple Heart, Air Medal with Silver and Two Bronze Oak Leaf Clusters, Air Force Presidential Union Citation, Air Force Outstanding Unit Award, Air Force Good Conduct Medal, National Defense Service Medal, Vietnam Service Medal with Two Bronze Service Stars, Small Arms Expert Markmanship Ribbon, Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross with Palm, and then Vietnam Campaign Medal. You know, one of the things that a lot of people, you know, associate with, uh, with the name Levito is the Levito Award in professional military education. Tell us a story about that award being named after your father. I believe uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Parish had a role in that. 
Yeah, so uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Parish, um, and I'll keep calling him Sam, so just go with me on that. Um, he, uh, he called my dad one day, and so you got to understand he got out, was involved in the Air Force, and kind of fell away from the Air Force. So uh, Sam was one of the ones who helped got it, get him back involved. And he called my dad up and said, hey, I want to name an award after you for PME. So my dad really thought he was joking and said, yeah, OK, whatever. Um, do whatever you want. So a couple months later, Sam calls my dad back. He goes, all right, well, we're ready to give out the first one. My dad, it's like the first what? It's like the first Levito Award. So, you know, that's how we ended up with the Levito Award. What did it mean to your dad? Because uh, I know you were talking about how even receiving a Medal of Honor is something that he didn't necessarily um, want. How did he feel about having that, that award and PME named after him? Yeah, so let me go back to the medal for a second. I don't think want, I don't think wants the right way to say it. I think he didn't think, he didn't think he deserved it. Hmm. He thought, he thought he was no different than, you know, uh, many other airmen that did anybody amazing things that weren't documented. You know, his was documented. You know, the Levito Award was really important because it, it gave him something to latch on to. He was able to latch on to education and he really felt like education was the key you know, for the enlisted force. And it, that was kind of what he continued to stress all along. And, and he'd go and he'd do base visits. He'd want to hear what pe people tell them about their job. And that's what I do when I go do base visits. I love people telling me about their job because it makes them feel good. And, you know, they get to share their information. But, you know, dad would always stress about education. And I bet that was that was probably rewarding for him to you talked about how he had a little absence of, of being really involved with the the military and then to come back and probably see like a young airman winning that award uh, was probably very uh, gratifying for him. January 1998, the Air Force C-17 Globemaster three plane was christened the spirit of John Levito. Now, that was right before his passing. What did that moment mean for him? Uh, you know, he was really uh, he was really taken aback in that moment, and he really didn't know what to expect. Now, let me give you some let me give you some background. I think we, yeah, we I think we were reconciled by now. But you know, we'll we need to talk about my path to get back to that. But um, you know, we had a we had a period of time where we probably weren't the closest, but um, I think we were better then, but he, um, you know, he got teary eyed during the event. And um, I think he was more in awe of they would do this and name a plane after him, um, especially one where the loadmaster got their own seat. So I remember uh, my dad and I, one of the really good childhood memories I have is um, he and I went out to Long Beach when they're building the C-17s and uh, we got to go through the plywood mock-up and, and uh, got to tour uh, the bay, uh, the, um, the plant there at Boeing and they may or may not have stuck me in underage, but it was a good time. So going back to your, your upbringing and your relationship with your father kind of uh, alluded to, I guess, some struggle or maybe like a strain in the relationship with, with you and your father. Uh, do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Oh, no. I mean, I think, you know, every family, every family has stuff and that's what helps, you know, that's what helps develop you as a person, as a leader, you know, 
in your profession. So, um, you know, growing up, um, you know, my dad traveled a whole bunch and um, probably was not the most loving person. I knew my dad loved me and I knew he was there for me. So, uh, you know, growing up, my, I was pretty much, you know, I fended for myself. You know, I was working at 13. As soon as I could get a job, I was working. Um, I worked all through, you know, high school, got ready to go to college. And my dad wanted me to become an Air Force officer. I thought I wanted to become an Air Force officer too. And it turns out that plan was probably more my dad's than mine. So I got an RTC. I first started down the academy road. Um, and then I thought, had second thoughts. I just said, yeah, being a son of Levitt is going to be hard enough. I don't know if I want to do it on top of the academy. So I got an RTC scholarship. Um, did two years, you know, did well, got academic achievements awards and some other awards. But in the meantime, I got pneumonia. I put myself in the hospital because I just stressed myself out. You know, at one point they thought I had an aneurysm. It was just bad time. So um, the end of the end of my sophomore year, I'd been having migraines and blackouts. So um, they were going to disenroll me medically. And so I called my dad and I said, all right, well, this is what's going to go on. And he's like, well, we can get waivers. And I'm like, no, we're good. I'm all set with this. So um, that kind of began the strain in our relationship. And I joke about it, but I, I don't know whether it was, you know, I wasn't going to be an Air Force officer or he had to pay for two years at Syracuse, but um, I joke about it. But, you know, I, I think that um, I think he didn't know how to take it and didn't know how to take that. And, you know, there may have been a component of, you know, my son's quitting. And so, so then I began my own path, right? So um, the whole reason I'm a nurse is because my dad, he suggested me becoming a nurse. And uh, last couple years of high school, I, you know, focused on my path and I was going to get out and I was going to become a nurse and I was going to become a flight nurse. And that was my career goals. Now, when he found out what your career goals were and, you know, he found out that you were kind of going into the medical career because of his influence, did that, is that mended that relationship a little bit? No, because that was at the beginning. So my ROTC scholarship was in nursing. Um, originally, um, you know, I got an ROTC scholarship in engineering. Now, I could barely add. So obviously, the Levitone name helped a little bit there. I'm just I'd be unrealistic to think that it didn't have anything to do with that. But, um, you know, the two years that I was in, I, I, I did the best I could. I know I could do it. Um, are there days that I regret not following through? Yeah. Um, are there a bunch of people that may not be alive now because I took that path? Maybe. I don't know. It'd be, it, it would be, you know, pretty, um, arrogant of me to think that no one else would have been there to do the same thing that I did. Tell us about your journey uh, after Syracuse that's gotten you to this point in your life. So uh, I got out of, I got out of, uh, graduated Syracuse in 96, um, had some challenges with the nursing boards. So 
got those taken care of by mid 97. Um, and so I'm a nurse, right? And um, there are lots of nurses in 1997 that don't have jobs. It's not like now. So I had some buddies that were, um, they were in Air Force ROTC, my you know, best friend and another roommate, and they were working at Walter Reed. So I went to their house and slept on their couch and tried to find a job. And uh, first job I finally landed was because I sat in the recruitment office all day and I think they wanted to get rid of me. So I walked in, I said, hey, I'd like to speak to a recruiter. And, uh, you know, this is before internet. This is, you know, this is you, when you actually mail resumes in the mail. And, and uh, so they're like, okay, we'll go sit over there. And, they, and so they kept saying, well, they're gonna be a while. Do you wanna wait? I said, yeah, I'll wait. So finally recruiter comes out to get me right before lunch. And I went there right first thing in the morning and said, all right, well, what are you interested in? I'd love to be a nurse anywhere in this building. So um, <clears throat> shared a little background. I had EMS background. And uh, she said, okay, well, here, here's some, here's some vouchers. Go get lunch and come back in an hour. So I went back in an hour and I had three interviews lined up and an interview in the uh, ER. And this is a huge thousand bed hospital level one trauma center. And I'm a new grad, right? Um, in the ER, uh, shock, uh, multi-system trauma, ICU and uh, coronary care unit. And so I ended up going on the uh, taking the multi-system trauma ICU job because I wanted to be a flight nurse eventually. I thought it'd be a good experience. And that was John's entry into nursing. That was probably where I met my, that was where I met my first true mentor in nursing. And uh, he really taught me how to be a nurse. Um, he taught me how to be compassionate while still providing care. And, um, you know, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade what, you know, he taught me for anything in the world. So, you know, I had my, had my, you know, vision on what I wanted to do, did about a year there, then went and uh, started working in GW ER in DC, did about a year there, and then I had my first flight job, which was unprecedented. You never saw anyone with less than three or four years experience getting a flight job, but so I started flying. Um, so I was down in Charlotte. We, we did uh, ground, uh, rotor wing, and fixed wing. So I, I became a flight nurse, right? Yay, great. Um, the, the, one thing, the one thing I regret in my career is that um, I was driven, always driven for that next thing. And sometimes I think I didn't hang around long enough to absorb as much as I could have. So, you know, I think everyone's motivated and everyone wants to get to that next place. But I think sometimes you need to, you need to be able to take a step back and go, okay, you know, what are we doing here? Because by 2006, I'd achieved my whole career goal, which was to be a program director for a flight program. And now it's 2020. So... When did you start getting people to reach out to you to pull you into either ALS or NCOA graduations um, to present the Levito Award? So obviously after dad died, there was a flurry of, you know, requests for visits and, you know, come and prevent, present the Levito Award. 
that probably lasted what two years because that was 2000 when did when did afghanistan ramp up 2002 i mean it, it started ramping up once afghanistan started ramping up it really you know it died off and i lost contact with my air force family so which i truly you know now having grown up i truly you know know i have a family with the air force and i also know i have responsibility to continue my dad's share my dad's message. Awesome. Can you uh, go a little deeper in how it feels to be embraced by the Air Force family? Like what happened the first time? Um, how does it just feel overall? Awkward. Um, you know, I, I'm the kid. And I say that often. Um, I'm the kid and not, not the one everyone really wants to hear from. And, you know, when I first started talking about him after his death, I I shared his message, but I think I shared his words and I didn't truly share what his message was. And I couldn't really share his message until I figured it out myself. And it took me a bunch of years, took me a bunch of jobs, took me becoming a parent, took me, you know, getting married, going through troubles in my marriage and working through that with my wife. And it took me all that to figure out holy crap, this is what he taught me. So, you know, I think that that was 2000, started talking about him. I think, you know, yeah, I looked back at some speeches I wrote. Oh, they were great. But I really didn't, I didn't scratch the surface of what his legacy really means. So I, I think the first, you know, I went to Keesler shortly after, no, that was shortly after 9-11. So you're, ask, you're asking me to think back here. You know, uh, Hurlbert, I went to Hurlbert. Hurlbert was probably the first. Um, and actually, uh, we did, my wife and I did two trips to Hurlbert. The first one was, um, we were down there for our honeymoon. We just stopped in and we were able to see the, connect with the fourth. And they did my dad's flyover. Um, so we met him in the air park and that was great. But we did a follow on trip probably, I don't know, eight months later where we were down there for three days. And, you know, we really got, that was special because uh, we really got to see what everyone does and they got to share, you know, their mission. And we really felt embraced and part of the family. And that's the first time my wife, I mean, the funeral gave her a taste of it. And it was the first time we did a full on base visit. I've been in contact with you now for a couple of years and I had actually reached out to you because we were doing a medal of honor themed graduation for Airman Leadership School. And we had you record the Levito Award winner's name. And this is pre-COVID with recording and sending videos and stuff. And I remember we displayed it and that room of 300 plus people that were there were just buzzing afterwards about, oh my gosh, uh, you had John Levito present that award. That was amazing. And your story that you had told that night, they were um, just glued to every single word that you were saying. So it meant a lot to them. I know that I talked to the student who received the Levito Award that night and they were just almost like starstruck by having you up there and having you announce that. And I know that's a moment, uh, not just in, in that individual's career, but any individual that, that wins that prestigious award. Um, it, it's definitely something that they, they take with them, uh, which that kind of brings me to uh, my next question. How would you define leadership? 
so I truly believe leadership is, um, you know, it's not going to be a fancy definition. It's supporting those who, who you lead and um, helping them achieve their best. Yeah. And I think you brought up a, a something a moment ago where you're talking about stuff that your dad had taught you. You didn't really see it at that moment, but years later, you're like, oh my gosh, that's what he was teaching me. Um, I, I did, you know, my father, I did an article on him for Llama Lounge and it was all about how stuff he taught me 20 some years ago. And I haven't had a conversation with my father in 27 years, but I see it day in and day out. I do something and I'm like, that's what he was teaching me at 11 years old. So I think, you know, leadership's one of those things that some people want to see it instantly, but sometimes it, it takes time to bake a little bit and it takes time to, to really uh, to materialize. Um, tell us about the, the four pillars that you talk about when you uh, do some of these graduations. So, um, you know, I, I really, um, I, had a, I had a talk and I kind of came back into the fold a recruiting squadron, the recruiting squadron that actually recruit, would have recruited my dad, um, <clears throat> asked me to come and do one of their events. And, uh, you know, I had to pull this talk together and I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? Um, because, you know, who knows, who knows what they want to hear from the kid. And so, you know, I started, I started like putting things on paper and go, okay, what did he teach me? So he taught me education was important. He taught me service was important. He taught me humility was important. And he taught me um, living beyond, I call it his 10 minutes, because that's what I call his, his action, but living beyond that 10 minutes and not letting that define you. So I put that down on paper and I you know, bookended some stories on either side. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, those are the four pillars. And as I think back, that's driven my life. I mean, I've had a life of service. Um, you know, I, I hate being recognized, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty humble. I'm not humble saying I'm humble, but, you know, um, education has been a really important thing for me. I, I just keep looking at the next, at the next goal. And, um, you know, great. I had a great day or this great project worked and, um, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, it's interesting. I'm having some, I'm having some health stuff go on. And, and so you know, I'm having this intermittent cognitive stuff and I'm just like, all right, what am I going to do now? And so it's really, you know, this is helping me focus and figure out, all right, what, what's my next role? Where, how do I make my next influence? And, you know, if it's not in, if it's not currently in my current role because of a health thing, that's cool. I'm okay with that as long as I can figure out a place. Great story. Um, what's your favorite memory with your dad? Um, so let me give you two. Um, one was shortly after he was sick, um, got diagnosed. Um, now, you know, I talked about us having strain. When he was sick, we we totally resolved that. And, you know, he's my best friend. And you know, I lost my dad and my best friend, which is, you know, I wish I could call him up. But so we were at a Pentagon of the Pops event and uh, he'd broken his collarbone. That's before we knew it, it, it had spread to his bone. He had met to his bone. But, um, you know, I got to spend an awesome evening with my dad. And, you know, that's when um, did I share the John Glenn story? 
So um, we had to ride a bus from the hotel to the Pentagon of the Pops event. And so I'm on the bus and there's, you know, Tuskegee Airmen on the bus. And there's this old couple in the back of the bus that I'm talking to because I'm standing because there weren't enough seats. And uh, so I'm talking with them and, you know, I had a great talk. And so I finally make it back up to my dad because I had to figure out what to do with the bottle, empty bottle of beer I had. But um, so um, on the bus, he's, uh, he's like, just leave it here. But he's like, do you know who you're talking to? I go, I have no idea. They're really nice, though. He's like, that's John Glenn. I go, what, the astronaut? Like, no, it wasn't. So my dad proceeded to let the whole bus know that I was talking to John Glenn and didn't know it. So, you know, that was that was an awesome night. Um, yeah, I I can't forget that night and and, uh, you know, just the event. Um, the other the other memory is sitting on his boat with him when he was sick. Um, we'd go out on his boat and um, so I was working four on four off. So I I'd, I'd get off my days. I'd get off my day shift, drive from Charlotte to Connecticut spend my four days off with my dad and then drive all night to be back for my day shift the next day. Um, so that's what I did all while he was sick and before I took a leave to be with him. But um, yeah, so that's what we did. We hung out. We know about his heroic actions. Uh, and I like hearing these stories, you know, that, that you're talking about here, because this is stuff we don't necessarily get to hear. Shed more light on like your, your dad, like what were his hobbies? What were, you know, what movies did he like? What was his sports team? Tell us a little bit that, that maybe listeners don't know about your dad outside of the military. So wasn't really a big sports guy. Um, watch every single kind of movie. I mean, we had the, we had the beta, you know, we had the beta machine before we had the VHS machine. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> it's funny towards uh, the end of his life. Uh, my wife, it, we were just dating at that point it was up and, and yeah, you know, we would just sit for hours and watch movies. He just loved watching movies. He didn't have time for a hobby, right? He didn't have time for a hobby because he um, was traveling so much. And when he wasn't traveling, it was work stuff. And um, besides, you know, he had the medal, you know, he did the traveling, but, you know, he worked for Veterans Affairs and for years. And, you know, he did so much. He did so much for the veterans, you know, in Connecticut. And then uh, previously he was on Capitol Hill, but, but he, uh, you know, that was his life. He, he lived a life of service. What would you say his favorite movie was? I don't know. Oh, I'm bad. See, so, <laughs> see, see I'm a bad guest. Um, I, 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 I couldn't know. tell you what my dad's favorite one was. I don't know. Either. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So what, what did it mean to him to start interacting with, with veteran affairs after his career was over with? I think, you know, he got out and he, he didn't know what he was going to do. And he was trying to kind of find a niche and he fell into veterans affairs. And I think he just took off and he wanted to make sure that if whenever anyone got out and they were entitled to services, that they knew what they could get, they knew how to get it. And if they couldn't, he was going to help them. Um, you know, that's, that's what, that's what his mission was. And that's what he, you know, that's what he did. Um, you know, Connecticut, he was very involved at the state level. Um, 
you know, you got the federal VA and then the state VA, which still confuses me, but, uh, you know, he was involved at the state level and, and it was really, you know, making sure that the vets had what they needed. You know, I think that's probably, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of him, of the work he did because of how many lives he touched. So yeah, he touched eight lives in an airplane, but I think about who else he touched in his work. You've, you've probably answered my last question. I was going to ask you about your father, but does someone listen to this who's never worn a uniform or someone who's brand new to the military, like a young airman? What do you want your dad to be known for? Uh, so I want him to be known for his service uh, across his lifetime. I, I don't want him to be known for an award and see that, that, you know, that's, that's a frustration of mine with the Levito award. And I don't know if you know this, but I like uh, social media stock people. So I social media stock at Levito recipients and I'll send them messages. So, um, and uh, so I, I do that. I do that, you know, a couple times, three, four, five times a month, you know, I social media stock people, but um, I, I want them to know that, that isn't an award, isn't something to put on an EPR and check a box. You know, that isn't, that isn't my dad. And he wouldn't have wanted that either. And he would have wanted that award to, to, to be a symbol of, okay, you've achieved a high level. Now, how are you going to push yourself? What are you going to do next? My dad had a life of service. He did so much for the veterans. He did so much for the Air Force. You think about it. He did so much for the Air Force. And you know, part of the reason why I think it's so important to continue to talk about his legacy is there are no enlisted heroes alive in the Air Force. Chapman, which, you know, that took way too long. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing how long it takes. And, uh, you know, Pitts and Barger took way too long. You know, story about Pitts, um, and if we're running along, you can cut me off, but, um, you know, and I share this every time I talk um, is, you know, right before my dad died, you know, he was talking about a letter and he had to get the letter sent out. And my wife, Lucy and I are like, what are you, what letter are you talking about? So he shared the letter with us. And so he sent a letter to Air Force leadership saying that he would give his medal back if it meant Pitsenbarger would get his upgrade. And, um, you know, I was so just taken back, but that's the kind of guy, that's the kind of guy he was. And um, that's what I miss. That's what I missed about my dad. That's what he was. Um, you know, again, you know, we had our ups and downs, which is okay. Could it, it help develop me as a person? And and I'm totally okay with it. And, you know, we were right, we were right at the end and, you know, he's my best friend, but um, you know, that story just, that story was just amazing. And what's even more ironic is a month to the day after we buried him, I was in, in the, in the Medal of Honor ceremony for Pitsenbarger. So it, it just, um, you know, it's amazing. And that letter was included in his, in Pitsenbarger's award packet. Appreciate you sharing that. You actually, that's, that's a story you had told uh, at our ALS graduation ceremony. Yeah, I think what you mentioned too about the your father, the the award being named after him, it's kind of what you said about the medal. 
um, about the medal is not his legacy. I believe his legacy is what he did with it. Um, kind of the same thing along the lines with, with that award. It's not just winning it, checking off a, a box, like you said, but um, it's kind of the launching pad for you as a supervisor and big things are expected. Last question for us here. What do you want to be known for? I don't know. You know, I, I think as a leader, how many times do we do this exercise of what's your legacy going to be? Write it on a three by five card and then carry that around. Um, I, I don't know. You know, again, I'm doing some self-reflection. Um, I'm trying to figure out how I continue to serve. Um, we're going to probably start a foundation um, in my dad's name. And I think we're probably going to target um, dependence education. Um, I think it's a gap. I'm talking to Chief Wright, you know, he took over the aid um, society. He said that that's a gap. Obviously, there's a gap on the active side as well now with the reduction. I just, I want it to be meaningful, whatever we do. Um, I have an outline for a book. Um, so I'm going to do a book and kind of a leadership slash dad, my dad book. Um, I just have an outline. That's it. You know, I'm not like Joe. I don't have almost the whole book written, but, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I think what's my next, what's my next what am I going to do next? You know, I've done everything I wanted to do in life. Um, you know, I really would like to do something for transition, helping military folks transition into the civilian world because, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I've seen, I've seen great, great people with great leadership skills not do well in, in healthcare leadership. And, you know, I think that that could be fixed. And I think, you know, there's lots of opportunity. So, I guess if I distill that all down, I could figure out a legacy, but I, I don't, again, like I said, I think that when you focus too far ahead and when you look at what you want to do, then you miss the current and the present. And I did that for too long. So I don't need to plan my life 20 years in ahead. I don't need to, I need to figure out, Hey, what's my next step and what am I going to do? And, and, you know, how am I going to serve now? Well, Batista, you got any last comments, last minute questions? Well, obviously, I, I just want to thank you uh, for doing this interview with us, this podcast with us. Uh, obviously, the Air Force family uh, reaches out to you for a reason. Uh, your dad was a great man, um, and he's instilled that within you. You're like the perfect candidate to represent him, and you've been doing a great job. And I think that's why people still reach out to you to continue his legacy, to continue his story, because you're doing a great job. Um, but one thing you mentioned was social media stalking. I'm gonna tell you a little story. You, we had our graduation, I think it was our second one, and our Levito winner actually gave like this amazing speech. And then you messaged the whole group. And we had, the cool thing about Zoom is you can have their family members and everything watch live. And you messaged them on Facebook Live. You just said, all you said was congratulations to the winner that one message you sent was in our ALS instructors group chat. And we were like, no way. I don't know what it is. You know, obviously there's a million reasons why that impacted each one of us uh, in our own way, but, you know, just uh, continue dad's legacy, even if it's just a little um, troll in a uh, graduation, you know, it still sparks, Hey, his memory's still alive. His legacy still lives. And uh, it was, that was a funny, little thing that happened during graduation. So again, thank you for uh, coming on 
giving me and Bodie the time. Oh, no problem. You know, my pleasure. And, you know, again, it's a little, it takes two seconds of my time to do that. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad it's impactful. I, that's what I want it to be because um, I don't want them to be a plane. I don't want them to be a street. I don't want them to be a building. I don't want them to be an award. I really want what he stood for to be what airmen see as my dad and, and, you know, strive for what he, how he lived instead of, you know, checking some box on a form because you get a cool award. Well, sir, I, I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for the air force as a whole, uh, for the young airmen out there, the, the awesome moments in their career that, you know, they're going to be, you're going to have people 30 year retirements getting up there, reflecting on their entire career and that moment of having you present them that award is going to be you know one of those top moments that they've had so uh, you do more for the air force uh than than i think you know for taking time for being an open book here for talking to us about uh, your father's legacy your relationship with your father uh and sharing a little bit about you and, and him and um not just him in uniform but him as a person greatly greatly appreciate it sir thank you it's my pleasure All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of Shadows Podcast. Check us out on Facebook if you haven't already done so at The Shadows Podcast. And then go over to Instagram, start following us over there, the underscore shadows underscore podcast. That is it for this episode. Goodbye and good night.